Hello, and welcome to Just Access. In this podcast series, we talk to some fascinating people, legal experts, academics, and human rights advocates, to explore ideas about the future of human rights and improving access to justice for all. I'm Dr. Miranda Melcher, a senior legal fellow at Just Access. And in this episode, I speak with Alexandra Romatsova from the Center for Civil Liberties in Ukraine. One of her key responsibilities is working to document and advocate for victims of war crimes in Ukraine. We focus on introducing Alexandra and her career at the Center for Civil Liberties, on her recommendations for improving access to justice, especially at and via the International Criminal Court, the ICC. So you obviously have a really interesting current job, and we want to learn about that. But can we maybe start off telling us a bit about your background? How did you come to join the Center for Civil Liberties? Oh, uh, uh, that's really interesting questions, because I have known my head of our organization, Alexandra Matvichuk, from student time. We both was representative of students of governments of our university. And we have a connection there and we know each other like proactive students, you know, with a strong position about anything. But after university, each of us, we started working in commercial sphere. I working in the BNP Paribas group. It's international bank joining, like a huge group, financial group. And working there seven years, Alexandra started working in Association of Bank of Ukraine. But from 2004, Eight, uh, she going to like a director of Center for Civil Liberties, and me. I'm till 2013 exactly. Don't have any social activity or something like this you know position with connection with NGO. But in 2013, when Yevromaidan started, before even November 30, when student was beaten in the Maidan, I was really supported in Yevro integration wave of Ukraine. So I am started back to my connections with proactive friends who take a part in Maidan. And that moment, I was exactly need to be one of the person who staying in Maidan in the night when police attack student there. But that was little change plan, and I plan to do that next night. But in the morning of 30 of November 2013, I wake up from huge numerous of messages from people who was attacked at Maidan and who stay now in church and that we have this fighting with the police. And I go in there. That's moment I start to be a participant of huge Euro Maidan, like a revolution of dignity. But I'm trying to find some possibility be useful in organized way, but in evening because whole the day I work in the bank. So I called to Alexandra and asked her, do they have any ideas, maybe any initiative which I can be useful? And she told, yes, we opened the hotline, Yevromaidan Sauce, and that line needed be 24 hours for seven. So if you know someone who prepared to have a duty in the night, it will be really useful. I told, yes, I know such person, it's me. So all the three months, uh, every night I'm going to hotline and from 4 a.m. till 8 a.m. That was my duty time. I'm staying there, accept the calls and hold the three months, hold the volunteers of hotline Yevramaidan. We accept more than 16,000 calls. And that was different cases about missing people, about people who was arrested, even from anti-Maidan. 
people call us, ask about their rights, possibility to left there because they was forcibly bringing to Kiev to be part of such cold, peaceful demonstration supported by President Yanukovych. So that was my nightly life, three months. <laughs> and I stayed in office and started looking around, you know, so find some books about human rights. And all this time I understood that uh, that's my values, my usual values of my life, but they call them human rights. Okay. And I decided to start working here. So I asked Alexandra, I want to work with you. And she told, you know, we don't have like job place. We don't have a workplace. We don't have a salary. I say, okay, what do you need to do to, to have it? <laughs> she told, no, so we need to have a new project supported by some phones or something like this. And I say, okay, what do you need to do for that? She told, we have like a form for competition about such grants. And that was UNDP. And that moment we feel understanding that um, we feel that uh, Maidan, it's like a topic, but main cause for Euromaidan source hotline that was from Crimea and Donbass. And something happened there. That was spring of 2014. We go in there like mobile groups, like just to look what happened there, observe. And we decided wrote the application about documenting war crimes and monitoring uh, political persecution in Crimea. And that started 2014, my first project. And exactly last night years, I do same. I mean, I working with this. And so I'm like full cycle employee, you know, I create my job place. <laughs> I do that. I make a report about that and take money for that. So it's like, like this. So May 2014, first May, it's official day of working here in Center for Civil Liberties. Amazing. What an amazing story. Thank you for sharing that path with us. Um, what then, this work that you've been doing since 2014, what does that look like on a normal day? What do you do every day in that role? Oh, normal day. It's uh, complicated <laughs> understanding in human rights in Ukraine. But um, what does it mean? If I'm at office now, I'm executive director. That means that I have team 23 person. And all of these people, part of them care about communication, financial process, some of uh, international connections. So our like usual duties, and we have 11 projects now. So I have a project manager who going, they own topic. For example, we have Freedom House project together with Freedom House about uh, monitoring by Ukrainian citizens, different services from Ukraine. For example, now we observe conditions of bomb shelters because it's responsibility of police and emergency services. So people like usual ordinary people, we teach them how we observe of such services from state. So it can be observation of police work. It can be observation of court work and so forth. So our main one of the main goals that people need to take such skills you know to control the own state we have a project about prisoners before 24 february that was political prisoners we call them like this because russian have a political motivation kept the people in crimea and donbass brings into territory of russia federation into jails and now this much bigger numerous of people because Russian kidnapped by Russian forces 
civilians and now holding them in Russian jails and uh, forcibly transferring them from Ukrainian to Russian Federation. Uh, so all of this, all of this topic, it's every day. That means that we have meetings. We decided to make some public events or communication, prepare some informal campaign, information campaign, or we gather other volunteers and propose them do something. For example, prepare some new cases. We speak with relatives, uh, some of people who dismissed or was captured. So every day it's a lot of different work. And except that sometimes because we have a lot of invitation <laughs> from different international levels, uh, from politicians, from some NGOs, from some initiatives to go to some other countries to speak about the situation in Ukraine, to give the understanding, what kind of support we need or so forth. And we speak about, first of all, justice, because one of the main goals of our organization now is create mechanism of justice for each person who's suffering from war crimes here. And that's a lot of work, you know, we call that advocacy work. So we speak with politicians from all the countries around the Ukraine and just give them arguments why need to create a tribunal for Putin that was tribunal against crimes of aggression. Because in history, that's not so usual to create such tribunal. So we speak a lot. I do a lot of mailing. A lot of mailing. <laughs> Sometimes we speak about some nice or creative things how need to be looks banners or what kinds of new imagine of today, for example, we have our board meeting and they exactly accept our yearly like we have reporting every year, official reporting. So now they're voting for this report. So it's not like this. It's like mix between mm -hmm. something uh, really administrative with something really um, creative. But today, for example, in the evening, I have a training for one of state bureau about international humanitarian law. Mm. So... That's actually something I'd love to ask about. How does the organization interact with the International Criminal Court, the ICC? We really collaborate with them because, first of all, we collaborate with General Prosecutor Office, and that's main link with International Criminal Court. But for your information, in 2000, I told you about that we're gathering six in Southern Coles, and we prepared for them first Ukrainian appeal to International Criminal Court. Because a lot of these calls have information about violence against human rights. That exactly was systematic. And that's why we appeal that here it's crimes against humanity happened by Yunukovych regime. So we appeal first International Criminal Court. After that, Ukrainian government appealed to them, like spread their jurisdiction in the territory of Ukraine, started from 21st November 2013. And it's continuing now. So we collaborate with them. Sometimes we have concrete direct meet, meeting with that because we represent um, Tribunal for Putin. It's joining of human rights organization of Ukraine who cover whole the territory of Ukraine. And uh, we documented war crimes where we have access. We're going by field mission. So it's one, yeah, one usual day for me, just going in some Kiev region village, a few and speak with people about what they saw, what they feel, how that what occupation going or so on so forth. So all of this, all of this exactly, we share with the General Prosecutor Office. 
And International Criminal Court, really interesting in this database because it gives them understanding what kinds of crimes, what kinds of cases can be useful for their cases. Hmm. So obviously, um, 16,000 calls is a lot. <laughs> but for understanding, now we have 32,000. So is there a problem of too much evidence? How do you manage that scale? Look, it's doing not only our organizations important, but we're not doing investigations. Need to understand that it's not same like police doing criminal investigation. You know, they go in each evidence they put in in the special, you know, pockets, special documents or something like this. No, documented it quite easily processed. I mean, easily in one way. When you heard about something, what can be potential war crimes? Because not all what happened during the war is potential war crimes. So we heard that in some villages that exist hospital and that hospital was shooting. So we go in there. We need to be sure and confirm, have information from three different sources that mm. uh, it exactly happened, someone mm-hmm. shooting in this building. So we go into the object, look at them, observe, find the bullets or find the um, rockets tracks and make a photo video. But after this, we need concrete people we, because we need to be sure exactly what day, what time, how many people saw it. We need exactly three person, like separate three person who can confirm it, that it's happened, that mm. it's not like just uh, from, I don't know, Second World War. So it's really important. And after this, we eventually, that means we just uh, have uh, concrete confirmed that it's happened. So mm-hmm. we collect all of this information, put in our database, because it's important to see uh, patterns, to see mm-hmm. systematic, like this hospital, next village hospital, in Kherson region hospital, in Kharkiv hospital, and that we see that our Russian army exactly not respect any human rights or any international humanitarian law, like uh, rules. Uh, about uh, protecting like medicine institutions. So it's really important to understand that we, we're not made investigation. It's take a time, like create one case with without details, but put all the what we can support. We take contact with these people. And when, for example, general prosecutor office come to us and told them, do you have some information about this village, about this period? Yes, we have 23 cases in this village. Mm. During this period, that 13 cases. And we have such contacts with people who confirm that it's happened. And mm. general prosecutor office do like investigation work. So it's a lot, yes. Because mm. for understanding like each address, each building was exactly striking and that was residence building and that was not a military building, it's need to be put in separate case. So it's a lot. It's true. Mm-hmm. That's why so important to have not only an international mechanism of justice, I mean, international tribunal against uh, crime of aggression and international criminal court, because they will take like 20 cases at maximum. Yeah. But we need mechanism here in the national level, mechanism of judging such case and give the decision and give the solution about who was perpetrator, what kind mm. of status and what kind of reparation need to give to any uh, victims of these crimes. That's why we think that we need some kind of courts represented to 
kinds of judges, prosecutor and lawyers. It's Ukrainian and national and international mm. and quite a lot. Why so? Because first of all, we don't have enough hands. A lot mm. of policemen, investigators, prosecutors going to the front line. At front line, you can now find from teacher till deputy, from writer till, I don't know, kindergarten teacher, you know, anything. Like mostly army, it consists from ordinary people, like ordinary civilians. Mm-hmm. And it's not professional military. So same, you can find the lawyers, prosecutors, policemen, like even secret services, people who now just take a service like usual army soldiers or officers. So that's why we don't have enough hands. We don't have enough experience. We mm-hmm. even not have really strong legislation about that. So we need to discover all of us from the beginning, all of this. That's why it's so important to have support from international level, from judges, from prosecutors who have a lot of experience in different countries against war crimes and crimes against humanity. And they experience to work with genocide episodes. So that's why we need them. Hmm. And why then, given this need, um, do you think that Ukraine has not ratified the Rome Statute of the ICC? It's really important to understand that it's not so easy. You know that we have a long story about that. From one side, our constitution court, they give the decision that ratify will be wrong against our constitution. And after this, we changed little our constitution and they told, yes, it's possible, but uh, after four years, we'll be prepared for that. So now, for ratify Rome Institutes, one of situation it can be that we need to change constitution. But during the martial law, mm-hmm. you can change constitution mm-hmm. from one side. From other side, it's a big question about uh, position of militarians. When you speak about that, uh, militarians can be punished by Rome Institute. They thought about. Yeah, sure, we don't have a normal time to make investigation, so we don't want that Russia started a case against us because they do that not one time. They will just spam uh, international prosecutor office because they have a lot of money, a lot of lawyers, blah, blah, blah. So it's create more problems that now bring some solutions. So Rome Institute, it's in the plan. It's one of the point of uh, in union joining. So it's need to be solved. But the question about do that concrete now, it's have some problems. So you need to change some things, which mm. not so easy change during the martial law act. So as for me, it will be really good to have good, strong, informed campaign for uh, Ukrainian militarians, why Rome Institute need to be. We speak before that when we don't have martial law, eight years we exactly speak with different kinds of militarians, just trying to explain them, so with politicians, explain them, because Rome Institute bring quite a lot of change in our criminal code and criminal processual code. And we mm-hmm. even prepare special legislation, but it's too complicated starting. So as for me, yes, it's need to be. I think international criminal courts, it's exactly its structure, which Ukrainians need to have a voice. Now mm-hmm. we give them possibility. Now International Criminal Court can work in the territory of Ukraine totally without any measures. So if someone from Ukrainian army do something which look like war crimes or something like this, International Criminal Court can investigate it. It's not a problem. 
But problem that Ukraine don't have any voice. Ukrainian not elect uh, judges. Ukrainian not elect general prosecutors. Mm. So it's specific situation. I mean, we collaborate a lot. We give a lot of information. They do investigation. Biggest team in the history of International Criminal Court work here. But we don't have any voice inside of this structure. It's really strange. It is strange and complicated. So thank you for explaining all of those pieces that you're working on and that need to happen. And I guess as my final question, I know a lot of people listening to this might be students or recently students or people generally interested who want to help, right? Ukraine is obviously something a lot of people are aware of. So how can listeners help your organization and your work if they want to? Like easiest, if you want to help just once time, it's easiest, it's money. <laughs> I mean, you have a possibility to choose any human rights defenders organization in Ukraine and just give the money because in their sites, same like Center for Civil Liberties, you can find the page where you can see all the accounts and can uh, uh, just donate the money. It's one of the versions. If it's like, you know, one day, like impulse. But if we will speak about if we want to take some time and prepare to spend it for Ukraine, for our struggle here and for situation here, because as for me, what happens here, it's a history. So be it part of this, it's really important to understanding how democracy build near a few, you know, like your neighbors. So we accept, for example, interns. We make an agreement with university. And if you decided that it's place for your internship, it can be distance. I mean, it's not need to go, come here, but you can come here. Just remember about the security issues. But we have interns by in distance way. They support us and help with our daily work every day. And you can be volunteer for, for example, gathering the evidence and testimonies because a lot of Ukrainians outside the Ukraine, so even your countries, any European countries, not only European, Ukrainian going to Latin America, Australia, New Zealand, we have Ukrainians everywhere. And some of them even not understood, but they are victims and witness of war crimes. So you can gather their testimony together with us, speak with them and give them support because a lot of people need to share all what happened with them and just be easier to feel that, you know, all of this experience. So like this. Wonderful. Well, thank you for explaining the many ways that people can help. And of course, to continue to follow the work that you and your colleagues at CCL are doing, and of course, across the whole human rights defender space in Ukraine. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Alexandra, for helping us understand your career, your day-to-day work, and what you and your colleagues do to document war crimes happening across Ukraine, about the systems for justice within Ukraine and at the international level, as well as ways that listeners can get involved in this work. And for our listeners, stay tuned for future Just Access interviews.